0: So when I was a, a drill sergeant out here, the privates would always ask after, after a amount of time, uh, usually towards the end. We did a one-station unit training, so we are there for 16 weeks, 16 or 17 weeks. So towards the end, they, once they get a little bit more comfortable, they'll come up and ask. They always say, how come you don't ever tell uh, war stories? And I tell, tell them, well, uh, I'm not going to because Whatever your experience is going to be is going to be completely different from mine. My first experience in 06, 08, was completely different from my second one. Completely. Uh, I mean, there were times when I was playing football on the side of that main Highway 1, that Route 1 that goes up through the middle of Iraq. On my second appointment, with no gear on. It was boring. You know, it was more like a, a year-long field exercise. So that's why I never, I didn't, I didn't, you know a lot of people would would tell their stories this and that to try to scare them and I just didn't see any any purpose in that because there's no way that they were gonna experience that same type of deal, so there was no uh it wasn't a a teaching opportunity for them um so I just never did it uh so just a little background you know as as far as you know my experience uh If y'all can remember back around 2004, 2005, we had Fallujah, and then coming in 2005, people weren't joining the military, and then everything leading up to the surge was uh, the surge in 2008. Um, It was things weren't going well. We were losing. I mean, we were losing. Uh, rules of engagement and everything else, and, and, you know, it's it's the same old stuff. Uh, there was too much, I think, winning hearts and minds, and so a lot of us were getting killed, and, you know, and a lot of people feel for no reason. Uh, you know, and I just want to say I love the Army. I love my time in the Army, and I don't, you know, there's small complaints, but I can complain about anything. Any job you do, you can complain. But I, I feel privileged to be able to have done it, uh, and I've taken a lot of lessons from it. So anyway, leading up to it, uh, the other the NCOs and stuff would always say, "Are well, you ready?" And uh, "You ready to go? You ready to go do this?" And <clears throat> I always tell them, "I don't know." Mm. You know, you have people, yeah, ready to go kill them all, that kind of stuff, you know, and 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 talk a lot. And I I found out real quick that people that talk the loudest are the scaredest, You know, people that talk the most. Uh, you probably want to stay away from and not listen to and that was the case and again it was one of those things more of just I guess making themselves feel better about the situation but nobody knew what we were walking into and I can look back now and see that everything's different now before my second deployment there was uh, nothing we'd have like a, we have FRG family readiness group where they get the families together and everybody talks about how to handle bank accounts and all that try to help the spouses you got a lot of really young you know, people, you know, 18-year-old wives that they just got a high school, you know, so they have no idea about running a home while there are others that, well, private don't know either. But it's it's to help get get the families ready. We had, like, maybe one of them before my second deployment, but seeing back on the, the before we went the first time to uh, Bakuba, it's just north of uh, Baghdad, we had a ton of them. It seemed like every week they were calling us in to go over, uh, make sure that our wills were set up, make sure that, you know, not even looking back, like we had to, you know, almost plan out our funeral. It was weird. They were like, you know, where do you, where do you want to be buried? We had to give them a cemetery and everything else. And we didn't do that for my second one. And, you know, I never really thought about it. It was just a private, I didn't know any better. So I was just doing it, like, this is what we do. Well, you know, the, the, of course, the higher-ups, they knew what we were going into. Um, we had what's called a dining-in, which is you have the military balls where the the, the husband and the wife go. And uh, generally, it's just an excuse for everybody to get together and get drunk. And, um, you know, and they do all the pageantry and all that. But we had a dining-in, which is just for the men. So I was like, I thought, well, this was weird, you know. That was really an excuse just to get everybody dressed up and get drunk and you never see the colonel acting crazy <clears throat> but he at one point we hadn't even eaten yet he was on the floor walking around between the tables had two people with him for some reason he had a sword and <laughs> yeah. was walking around saying how much he loved us and and this and that and you know all of us are kind of like it ended up getting pretty quiet in there because we're like what's with the colonel you know we never hear him say much more than you know don't get in trouble or you know this and that and the other thing and uh and a full bird ended up having to uh tell him okay you're good come on let's go you know it's time to sit down but he had just gotten back from where we were going that our, our area of operation so he knew and um you know, and it, it, was, it, was, it was crazy. So I don't like the term PTSD because, you know, I, I always look at it as like, well, there was a specific event that happened. And then how can one event give you a lifetime of this disorder, a disorder? But there's uh, one definition of it that is my favorite, and is that what causes somebody to have a permanent change in their thinking is when they undergo an extended, sustained period of time of operating at an extremely high level with no break, and then that repeating over and over and over and over again, and that the brain can't handle that. We're able to take in certain says, if not, every time a family member died, we would all be, everybody in this room right now would just be an absolute mess from, you know, back when grandpa died 25 years ago. We're able to, the brain is able to um, compute and comprehend and take in bits of information. But when it's being flooded constantly for extended periods of time, there gets a point where <clears throat> you're going to assimilate into that way of life, and that's going to become home, and that's okay. But see, we don't stay there. You got to come home. You know, I was raised in the church, and I never gotten, you know, I wasn't a, a, a violent person at all. Um, you know, I really didn't get any bites. Um, I didn't, you know, and I really, when I even when I started drinking you know when i would drink it wasn't i'd have a beer too it'd be good you know it wasn't you know i wasn't drinking to, to forget something it hadn't turned into that but i thought you know i wasn't in the church you know i thought i had a pretty good handle on things you know i was i was doing well uh so 9-11 happened we all know that and then the uh like i said they were having problems getting people in at the time i was and a lot of y'all know i was i was a professional flutist you know a classically trained flutist and uh so i was in between you know well i want to join the army go do that just to do my part you know and then also being a professional classical musician you don't really know if you're going to be having a paycheck coming in so it's not real smart if you you know want to eat so i was like well i'm gonna go in the army and i figured well if i'm gonna to go to the army i want to do army stuff so to join the armor, the tanks. All right, now, everybody say, oh, you're, you're not going to see a tank again once you get out of basic. You're never going to be on a tank. You're not going to, you know, whatever. End up going to Fort Hood. We were on tanks. Um, so. I had not tried to prepare myself for anything because I didn't know. Because... when somebody's trying to kill you you see them trying to kill you you hear bullets trying to kill you you know you don't know how you're going to react to that until it happens you don't know uh and the way the military does it they acclimate you to everything so we go to kuwait you stay for a month to acclimate to the the temperature acclimate to the environment so you're there for about a month and you go up north once you're up north you do what's called a right sea ride relief in place we call it rip where the out the the unit coming home their leadership vehicles go with the leadership vehicles so you get four vehicles going out to show the leadership of that platoon coming in hey this is this is where we're going this is a bad spot don't go there this is what we did here blah, blah, blah. So we're supposed to do that so we get a sense of of the area and we get maps and all that and and that's supposed to last for about two weeks where we're on our little base out there in the middle of Iraq and then, you know, check out the area for a couple weeks and then we go out and we start uh, operating independently in that environment. So I'm thinking, all right, it's cool. You know, we'll get on the base, have a couple weeks. You know, it's kind of boring. Go to Chow Hall. Three times a day, this and that. Well, we we get to our our what was it was called Five War Horse Ford Operating Base, and that's you know in the middle of the town. Well, that's when they had started putting. Basically, we would go in and take over a house or s- several houses, and, and tell the people to we'll pay you, but this is ours, and live in the neighborhood. So we would do rotations out there in our little neighborhood um, outside of that main base. Um, so we were in this area that was about 40 kilometers from that base. Well, we just got there. So this is like, we get in that night, we go to sleep, we're all expecting, we got a couple weeks. Well, they come up, uh, or my first line supervisor comes up, he says, got to get all your gear, get ammo, we're leaving. We got to go. I was like, hey, we got to go. And they're like, yeah, the IP station, our regular police station down in our area, they got overrun, and there's only four of them left, we have to go and hold it. Here we go. You know, this is real. So you get, you know, just jacked up with the adrenaline. It's crazy. It's, uh, you know, it's, it's 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 weird. It's like they say in the, you know, you kind of see in the movies, everything slows down. You hear better, smell better. Everything comes into focus. It's like you're you're more alive than you've ever been in your life. It's wild. It's like you can feel the, the, the tips of your your hair, you know, everything is just insane. So we're all, you know, up there chain smoking. Well, nobody's talking anymore. Everyone that was real loud about, "Are you ready?" and this and that. And I did this and that. My last point of that, nobody's talking. So we uh, we go down ten minutes out the first time. One of the vehicles gets hit. Boom. And that's when, in my head, I was like, "Yeah, this is happening. This is real." Because up to that point, it's kind of like a movie. And even still was so we go down uh a tank platoon small we're not big and we were running three-man crews so we had with the other people probably about 12 probably about 16 because we had their leadership 16 guys going down our area had 150,000 people living in it and so we're going into this with just a couple people and there's you know and they're saying that, that there's only four of them left so you know it's a pretty intense situation Four days later, Uh, this is when I I learned that it is possible to be so physically miserable you wish you would die. Uh, I knew how long I could go without sleep. I learned that uh, you didn't really need food as long as you had caffeine and nicotine, but that sleep will get you. but four days later, we're sitting in this field and I'm up on a 50 cal and we're all done. I'm mean, just falling asleep at it. And it really does look beautiful. We're in this, the, the where we were at, it's called the, the Fertile Crescent. It's where all their produce came from. So, you know, it's this one acre plot, green field, sun's coming up, you know, there's fog, there's all these trees, real pretty. And, uh, I'm coming in now. out well this group of people we had finally gotten down to after about four days of fighting we had managed to corner them in this village and it was done that part of it was done well at that point we were still if you could get one of the enemy if you had wound, wounded them uh, America will try to save them and get them out and um You know, and I was all about it at that point. Uh, You know, brand new, didn't know any better. Uh, Well, I can't say at that point, going into that point a few days beforehand. So we're tired, hungry, and everything else, and we're sitting out here in this field, and I hear the Black Hawk medevac gets on and says, well, it's a hot LZ, I'm not landing. And I'm thinking, well, we're sitting in the middle of it, man, come on. The quicker he gets down and gets this guy we just messed up, out of here we can go and sleep and eat so he won't go he comes in and then leaves so this shortly became uh, the first person that I was responsible for letting go uh, I turned around my so full he's standing over him with the medic and uh, this guy's not in good shape and uh, he, he's, he keeps kicking him waking him up I said stop kicking him just let him Uh, he was in enough shape where if we just let him go he would drown Um, so I was like stop the quicker he dies the quicker we can get out of here so we stand there that's the guy that I was telling y'all about last February his wife found him uh, hanging but was able to get him out I guess they revived him but um, that's the one that I was talking about for that one. there's a whole bunch of people that just didn't make it but that's why I say it's a sustained amount of time we still had at that point like 15 more months to go this was the beginning of the surge we didn't know we were gonna get extended so I was 18 months take out the month for Kuwait you know we just got there we still have 15 months to go. In our heads, maybe we had, you know, seven, whatever, but still, uh, there ended up being 15 months of that to go. And it, it didn't stop up until probably the last three months. So, fast forward to those last three months, we go through all this. All right. By the time we get to the, the moment, I realized that uh, everything was different. This is like month 16. Um,. By that time, my crew had been hit over 25 times. We actually quit counting. Uh, 25 direct hits. I don't know how many concussions. If, somebody, if, if I would wake up before everybody else and I would know, okay, well, I was out. Um, sometimes somebody else would wake you up, you know, depending on where you're at. If you're in a truck, you know, a lot of times you get knocked out if you're up on top of a gun because you weren't in anything. But um, I, don't, so I don't know how many times I actually was knocked out. Uh, so, you know, things already weren't working the way they were, you know. It just wasn't as noticeable because you're in that environment. So this is towards the end. We're protecting this government center. The surge was over. Uh, you know, we won. Everything was, was great. Um, so we're, we're just doing these eight-hour shifts at, at protecting this, uh, this place. We got in a new private and a little square that we're in, probably about, I don't know, maybe 8 feet little hut, right? And so I'm on the 50 cal, which points out. And you can see behind where the 50 cal was like that, there's a wall. And there's bullet holes like right here because they start shooting. What What do you do? I get up and shoot, right? So it's over there. I didn't stand there, you know. I had a little spot off to the side because we had, you know, the little windows we had put, a, took them off of the Humvees, that real thick glass, and put them up there so that it wasn't just an open spot. Get this new private in, he's on the other weapon facing the other way. And uh, and I was standing there smoking a cigarette, just staring off into space, probably daydreaming about going home. And uh, uh, one of them shot. You know i was I, I was complacent by that point so i'm just standing there in the window and uh he got pretty close he got pretty close i mean it was uh there's different sounds when somebody's shooting at you when it goes by you all that this one if it sounds like somebody just hit like a two by four and a two by four next to you it it was almost your your time like right? that was you got lucky that was it hit, hit right underneath and then so what they do is they'll shoot right that first one because you want to jump up and get the sniper Then they'll have another group that will just open up on their machine guns on this side. So that happens. I look, and I'm like, "Ah, I'm going to have to call this up. You know, I can tell there's gunfire over here. And uh, the new private had come, and I look over, and he's in the fetal position on the ground. You know, and I looked at him, and... uh, you know, I didn't jump on him or anything. I just said, Hey, uh, what, what are you doing? You know, I wasn't in church, so it wasn't that gentle. But, you know, I was like, What are you doing? And he's looking up at me. And, you know, he said, "I'm." Uh, they're shooting at us. I said, I know. Get up and shoot back. <laughs> what, you know, what? And I didn't run over there to do it. I was like, I ain't, I ain't walk." you know. He's right there, but I was like, Dude, you did. It's real, I know you just got here and you're only gonna be here for a couple months, but uh, that's your side. I was smoking my cigarette. You know, you get up and do it. By the time he gets up there and messes with it and he can't even fire, they're done. They don't stay out long, come and run away. Anyway, that's the point I realized that I completely assimilated to that life. I wasn't getting, that adrenaline wasn't there anymore. Uh They don't care about human life. I didn't care about human life. I didn't care. I wasn't I didn't have I had that that background of of church and and my belief, but I had been so far removed from it for so many years I didn't have that to fall back on. So it was uh, a complete absence of God in a situation where uh, you know, it's anarchy. And I was okay with that. And it was scary. Because you can't stay there, even though that would have been fine. You've got to come home. You've got to come back to this, to normal people, where you know it's not OK to do the things that we did. You've got to be civilized. So like I said, you don't know how you're going to react until you're in that situation. Some people don't react well. They go into fetal position. You're going to do one of two things, you're going to freeze and and be ineffective, or you're going to be able to get control of it and uh, use that adrenaline and become effective. And I was, I was really good at it. Um, I was really good at blocking that out. You know, I was like, well, we're over here doing, you know, they attacked us, you know, even though it wasn't exactly them, but uh, you know, in my head, uh, more dead Muslims, better off we are. That's the way I thought. Didn't matter. Uh, and I could have, you know, I would have been all right staying there and doing that. And I think a lot of people would have. But you got to come home. So they start giving us all these classes, right? Uh, and they kept telling us, don't drink. Don't use alcohol to... to to, to cover, you know, whatever you're going through. I'm like, I'm fine. Everything's good. I'm getting up and eating. I'm going to the gym. Everything's great. Uh, you know how to lie to the doctors. You see, if you have a concussion, you go in, You would you would think that they would make you get checked out. Sometimes they do. If there was, like, a higher-ranking person there, they would make you go to the troop medical clinic. But their test was stupid. The whole test was based off of if I say monkey, apple, baseball, bat, walk in, and they're like, okay, come on back. Monkey, apple, baseball, bat, you pick three words. And then you get your blood pressure checked, you tell them that you just have a slight headache, you're fine, uh, that you, were, you know that you were not unconscious for more than 30 seconds, and then they say, what were the three words I told you? So all the time you're going through this in your head, you're like, okay, you know, monkey, apple, baseball, bat, monkey, apple, baseball, bat monkey apple baseball bat and they're like all right you're good good to go when it, you know then you walk outside throw up you know get yourself together and then you go back out because if you go to the doctor you're a dirtbag and you're not going to get promoted and everyone's going to be like oh man you're weak you know so you didn't do that uh some you know some people did but one i wanted that guy i was going to show him because i knew everything i knew everything by that point you know i had uh, so much pride and 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 reliance on me and who I was that uh I had all the answers so they kept saying kept saying kept saying don't drink don't drink don't drink don't drink like man everybody drinks in the army what's the big deal about this and they said just so you know about 90 days after you come home your brain's going to process everything that you just did. I'm like, 90 days? He said, you're going to come home, and everything's going to be great. Uh, Lee, we give me some water? But but be careful, because at the 90-day mark, all these things are going to come flooding in. And uh, I was like, ah, all right, whatever. When I came home, I didn't, I still, I didn't drink. Um. You know, when I went home on, on my six-month leave, I didn't drink. I didn't have one drink. Uh, people said I was acting different, but I just thought they were being nervous to be around me. and it felt feel different. So, y'all know Christy is not my first wife. I was married to a lady named Kale. And, um, she's the reason why I stopped going to church she when we first met we would go to church and uh but she was from the that was when the big uh, what are they, evangelicals you know the, the big praise and worship centers that's where you know she wanted to go got that feeling from it right It uh, felt good but uh, the church you go to that's boring I don't get anything out of it and I said well i won't go to church because i'm not a very good christian anyway i'm not a christian so i don't call myself that but if i am going to go to church it's going to be at the church i grew up in Bandera road church christ so, but i'm not i'm i'm not going to go because i even not going and not being a member of the church i knew that it would be pointless to go to worship somewhere else where they taught false doctrines so anyhow uh, I didn't notice anything weird. Of course, I was gone overseas, but I get home, and you know, I, she worked in San Antonio, and that's only three hours from Colleen. And she had seen a doctor when I was gone, and I just thought this was it, and he had her on like an antidepressant, Xanax, and Ambien. And then she had another prescription for Ambien from somebody else, so she was pretty doped up. Now to everyone else in the world she was little miss perfect she was could do no wrong I mean my dad loved her she just they my mom could not stand her uh but she could do no wrong well she uh she sends me a message one day I'm at I'm at work we're back you know I'm just floating along and she says you know i'm just gonna take this ball of pills and drink this bottle of jack she didn't drink i was like whoa what's going on here so they gave me a pass to go down and and we had to find her and i'm like what is wrong with you like you're just acting so weird and she whatever i don't know this goes on for we hit the 90 day mark now i've been going to a bunch of schools uh, the unit prevention leader school, you get the drug tests, and it's ironic, you know, you get the drug tests and the alcohol. You know, classes don't drink, but I was that guy, and you know, uh, what I was about to be, you know, makes that really funny. Uh, but I was that, and, you know. They sent me to combative school, NCO leadership school, all that. I was doing great, you know, I really wasn't processing anything, and it was couldn't have timed it any better. Right at 90 days, get home from work. And she called up, said, I'm not coming home. I said, oh, you gotta work. She said, no, you don't understand, I'm not coming home. I said, okay. And she said, I had an affair when you were gone. And I said, let me call you right back. So I just hung up the phone, I stood there for a minute, and I was like, even in my head, I was like, really, you? You know, see me doing that, you know, I could see, you know, a lot of other people doing that, but you? which explained why she was acting so weird. It was that depression and guilt. Uh, So I called back and I was like, well, who was it? I can't tell you, you know, I'm not gonna tell you his name. Obviously, smart. In that state, I probably would've killed him. I mean, I wouldn't, I didn't have any morals at that point. Uh, So she says, yeah, it was for, she said, from I left and I got there in October, so she was like, it was from October till right before I came home." I said, "That's months." I was like, "You didn't have an affair; you had a boyfriend." I was like that's different. Let's let's be real here. That's you had a whole relationship. I was like that's why you're having a problem. But I was raised by very good parents, and even with that, uh, I told her I said, "Well, look, I don't, I don't believe in divorce. Won't do it. Won't do it." Uh... People make small mistakes. Sometimes people get boyfriends while their husbands are deployed. You know, hey, it happens. But I wasn't gonna. Um, I wasn't gonna give up on that. Uh, but she was gone. She was out there. But the deal with the, the disorder is that all these things were piling up, and I wasn't dealing with. So when I got that news, and honestly, it was my pride that hurt more than anything, because I did not, we should have never uh, been married. We should have never been together. Um, I was just fighting and throwing, you know, for what? We didn't have kids. It was just my own pride. Divorce looked like you failed, right? And I was extremely prideful. Uh, but it wasn't even about her that, that made me upset, really. It was, it was just a, how could you do that? You know, I can't go to work and tell these guys that Jody got me. That's what we call the, Jody is the, the guy that hooks up with your significant significant another when you're gone, right? Yeah, That's Jody. So I'm like, man, I got it. Like, Jody got me. Um, anyway, so I hang up the phone after that conversation, and she said that she wasn't going to come home because she was scared of me never hit her, anything. And this goes into the, the people were noticing that I was acting different when I couldn't notice it myself. And I was like, scared of me, whatever. So I go down to the liquor store and got me a bottle of Jack Daniels and then set it on the counter and poured a glass of it, like a glass of iced tea. Glass of iced tea. Uh, whiskey's nasty. All alcohol's nasty. Anybody says it tastes good is, is lying. Uh, and I thought well I'll just have a a couple drinks out of this and be good well I took a drink and my mental state was so mixed up right now because all this stuff was starting to build up and I drank that whole glass about that tall probably about 8 ounces looked like iced tea with no ice so I poured another glass and that was the rest of that bottle Uh, woke up in a bathtub with a friend of mine from San Antonio in my house in Colleen, trying to talk to me. How would you get here? Well, she told me to come check on it. I said, "Okay, I'm fine, whatever. Went to PT, 5 o'clock in the morning, went over there to PT. I never missed work. Everything was always fine at work. Next day, I come home, bottle of Jack, drank it, and that went on. I don't know how I didn't ever miss work. Now that went from not drinking to being able to get down a bottle of uh, whiskey, get up at five in the morning, go run a couple miles or whatever else we were doing. I think I was running just on pure hate. That's what it was. I went to that. It, it, you know, The absence of God is just loneliness, hate, resentfulness. That'll fuel you. That's what I was living on. I was also very good at at hiding it, but it's not too, too hard to hide it when everybody you work with is an alcoholic. So it was okay. The whole formation reeked the next day. We already had orders to redeploy. Some people weren't even back a year. We knew we were going to Mosul in a couple months. Have fun. The clean police knew it. There are so many times they should have arrested me. Where else would you go where somebody can put their hands on a cop and they're going to be like, all right, all right, just calm down. Killeen, Texas, in the middle of between 2005 and 2011. Because they knew they'll be gone a few months anyway. So I just completely got uh, this, this hate. Hate for everything, and at that point, there was no more consideration about church until, and I never even thought about God until 2011. So I was just out and gone. I was gone, gone, and, and I'm at Christie, and. Uh, and that was crazy because everybody, uh, everybody I knew was a terrible person. People's wives would just, it didn't, it was bad. Sexual immorality, everything. And, uh, you know, you didn't do that to your buddy. So I had this one set of friends that, that when, when Gail had left, that they would come over and the guy goes outside and his wife, you know, says whatever, and I'm like, <clears throat> Weird. I quit talking to them. But that's the way a lot of them, almost all of them were. It was crazy. Just people didn't care. Come over get drunk. It was, you know, I don't know, like back in Roman times. Well, Christy uh, was friends with Sophul, the guy that tried to hang himself, and, and those folks. And she was going through a divorce. And I had never talked to her before, but um, she knew I was going through a time. And so she had called up and she said she worked doing this Crafting and had a picture of a dog. So I'm gonna drop, you know, when come by your house and drop this off. I was like, all right. And uh, so it was a Sunday afternoon, probably about one o'clock in the afternoon. And she comes, knocks on the door. I go open the door. Of course, you know, I got a beer. I was like, well, hey, you want to come in and have a beer? And she's like, no, no, no. Here, I just got you this. And I was like, you can come in. She's like, no. And she left. I'm like, weird. You're a weirdo. Like, don't you know where you're at? And then everybody had come over one night, and uh, we had had a you know party and drinking and everything else. And um, she was there, and we were watching Cloverfield. It's like our movie, Cloverfield. And uh, she wasn't she wasn't drinking. I was like, man, this girl's weird. Like everybody else here is like just a raging drunk idiot, and you know here she is so so anyhow she uh, I'm passed out and she uh, she she fell asleep also wakes up freaking out She's, I gotta go I gotta go and I wake up and I'm thinking what you, what you, what's going on here she, I gotta find my keys I can't be here well everybody else had left she said, I can't be here. I can't be, you know, in this house with, uh, you know, you, a man. And, I. you know, what are people going to think? And uh, I was like, wow. Okay. So anyway, Christy was naive. And I was at the beginning of, of what I was quickly becoming and was. And uh, But she stuck it through. I don't know how. Now, everybody's experience, like I said, is not the same. That's the last I'm going to talk about any of that. Uh, I had to, when I was getting ready to talk about these things, I had to uh, really decide what I was going to say, what I wasn't going to say, what I was going to bring up. But the point is, is that I knew there had to be some kind of you know, understanding. Now, like I said this morning, everybody's going to go through some, some type of tragedy in their life. There's no getting out of it. So this idea of PTSD, post-traumatic stress, whatever, this I don't like it because it's become zeroed in really to a military thing. But everybody's different. You know, everybody's psyche is different. Everybody everybody doesn't have the same experience. I work in a funeral home. I see people all the time that, that are dealing with something really hard in their life. Some people deal with it fine. Some people, I mean, it just breaks them. My mom, when my grandmother died, broke her. I don't know why. She's still not recovered from that. I can't understand it but I can't understand that experience. And like we talked about on Wednesday, uh, the best thing to say is, I, I don't understand what you're going through. I'll listen, I'll sit here and listen all day long to you. I don't understand. So, it's the choices that we make though when, when, we, when we're confronted with this stuff. And it's the foundation that's important that we have. And I'm glad that I did have the foundation to be able to, to stumble back in to the church. Before I died. Uh, but it's the church that did save me. And I said it this morning and it means a lot to me because of that and, it, it, and I want I wish everybody could, could see it that way because no matter what you go through it's the teachings of Christ the teachings in, in all of these books the way of life that we're told to live that's what brings you peace You know, a psychologist can't do that. A psychiatrist can't do that. They can help. They can help guide you along the way. I'm going to talk some more about, you know, tomorrow night we'll probably have a lot more folks that are uh, not church members. Um, So I'm going to talk a little bit about that. And also it's kind of gave me a way out to be able to say uncomfortable things in front of people I know instead of strangers. So I'd rather be talking about that stuff here with y'all instead of, of them. But this is the most important thing we will do in this life is serve God and study and read. And even with all that, that temptation and draw from sin is so powerful that it will pull you back all the time. But this is the truth that is in here is the only thing that is going to be that anchor to keep you where you need to be because our hope is to go to heaven and and, and be with God and the fellow saints for eternity. All these things that we deal with here are so finite uh, when it comes to the infinite, but we put so little honest, hard Look at it. Uh, Matthew 7, starting in verse 12. So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets. Enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. thus you will recognize them by their fruits not everyone who says to me lord lord will enter the kingdom of heaven but the one who does the will of my father who is in heaven on that day many will say to me lord lord did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name and then i will declare to them i never knew you depart from me you workers of lawlessness how that portion of scripture I love because it's it just amazes me that that folks don't read that and shudder you know god that created everything has been reduced to entertainment and has been reduced to a feeling. I didn't read in that scripture anything about feeling good. In fact, most of the stuff that you will read in scripture, if you study it, talks about how hard it is. Paul says, I bear the stripes of Christ. That means that he got stoned, beaten, whooped, imprisoned. That's how serious it is. Well, Church of Christ, you don't have a band. Well, no. And you know what? Who cares? Why debate that scripture? Why even, why, why take that chance? Here's what I will never understand that I wish some folks would learn. We are not talking about are you going to watch a baseball game or a football game? What does it matter? It's not hurting anybody. We're talking about eternity. Bible says repent and be baptized. Well, it says that we're not saved by works. Well, it also says that we're saved by faith. Yes, it says all of those things in the context. Be stubborn. Why can't you just take it for it, it is? Repent and be baptized, every one of you, for the remission of sins. Why take the chance? Why say, well... but it, my pastor said in this verse, it says we're not saved by works. That's a work, so why are we going to do it? But didn't Christ say that repent and be baptized all of you for repentance sins? Well, that's a work, though. He didn't mean it exactly that way. Well, how did he mean it? Well, I, don't, I don't know. You're twisting the scripture. Come on. Come on. Because we're lazy. Uh, as a people, I'm not talking about us. I'm talking about humankind, mankind, uh, and especially here in the West. Everything is quick. Everything is immediate we have to have a 25-minute sermon. Everybody's got to get out of here because I can't stand it anymore and I can't listen. I've got to go to sleep. It's true. I do it too. But like I said last week, we have got to make sure that this is the basis for everything we do. This isn't a Sunday thing. It's not a Wednesday thing. It's a twenty four hours a day, seven days a week thing. We should be in the scripture, our all love God with your heart, soul, mind, and body. Our minds should be trained that at any idle moment we have it's going to scripture. Well, you're crazy, you can't do that. You can't do that all the time. You sure can. You sure can. And by doing that, we will be that example to others in the world that need it. We all need it. But how much more so do those folks that, that that believe in false doctrine need it? And if we truly say we love our neighbors, we love ourselves, and that we're not being impartial, it's a lie. Come on. Come on. How much extra time are we really spending? Jeff Prophet came. He got baptized here. I see him for hours and hours spent 80 something hours the last two weeks with him. I haven't brought it up to him. In my head, I'm like, well, I want him to be comfortable and bring it up. It is on me. I talked him into it, right? Not checking up on him, though. Not saying, hey, you know, and even if he doesn't do it, shame on me for not saying it. But that's because my heart, soul, mind, and body is not bent on scripture the way it should be. So we need to work at that. Uh, And this whole PTSD thing and all that and all the the nastiness that that comes with it, yes, it's terrible. Uh, Not being happy is uncomfortable, but it's important. how can you be able to influence people and how can you be able to help the lost if you can't share some type of life experience with them that's what makes us us when i was a child i thought i was a child because i didn't have that many things in my head i heard really great analogy. You know, a, a person that wants to be happy all the time and thinks that happiness is everything. Look at people in Hollywood, that they still do drugs and kill themselves on a, on a pretty good basis, right? They're not happy. They're shallow because everything is given, everything is there, everything is comfortable. There's no in between. So then when they have to have a icky feeling and deal with it, there's no fallback. They have no Bible, they have no Christ to fall back on. There's no foundation to go to. We don't need to be afraid of suffering. And that was a big part of my problem for years. I went to a bottle to get rid of that suffering instead of looking at it, confronting it, accepting it for what it is, letting it teach me something other than the bad things, other than ended up in jail, almost going to prison for a decade. That's where I was teaching myself. That's where man was leading me. But it's serious. It's life and death. And I'm not talking about life and death here. It's life and death and eternity. In Genesis chapter 6, verse 5, The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. If If you believe a lie, at some point you're sitting there and saying, well, it's just a drink. Well, it's just a this, it's just a that. Well, it's fine. It's just to uh, input anything that you're struggling with. Come and talk to me about it. I'm not saying come up here and talk about it. Come and talk to me about it, because I'm not going to share any more about my experiences over there. I'm not going to share any more about... It already ran two people off. Uh, And it's not because of that. It's because I don't have it written down. I can show you my iPad. Um, And I did finally get, yeah, we are over, but I was able to finish. I was way behind on those first two. I don't care, though. Talk to somebody. I don't feel like any type of suffering or anything that I've gone through is, is, is so unique to my situation. No, there's thousands, hundreds of thousands of people, millions if we want to go through it, that have gone through it. Millions of people have processed it better than I did. Uh, there's choices to make. I just made every one of the wrong ones. And I'm thankful. I thank God that I was raised and had at least a crumb of the foundation to go back to once I got my mind right. Once I had crawled out of where I was at. I was man in Genesis chapter 6. All my thoughts were on evil continuously. It was dark. I was a danger to everybody around me. Evil. She saw it, evil. But there's a wife. we're here, having a baby. And I can say I'm genuinely happy. And it's only because of this. 20 plus medications, psychiatrist, years. Went to a psychologist for a year, every day. Went in and talked about my feelings. I was supposed to get better, right? But I wouldn't tell anybody anything. I told her something that I going not share. Christy will be the only person that I ever I ever tell this particular thing to. There's a lot. I tell her um, everything. Uh, but I never talked about the war or any of that or my feelings on that. I was keeping it hidden, still keeping it hidden. So one day I go in there. It was the last day that I saw her. And man, I've been going there a year. Go for an hour a week and talk about how I feel. I think I was just lying most times to get a pass because it made everybody happy. Why oh, he's going to therapy. He'll be all right. So one day I went in, must have been in a bad mood, and I said, Okay, well, you want, you want to know something that, that the goes on in my head? She was like, Yeah, share it with me. An hour later, she's sitting there bawling her eyes out, and I'm like, Well, I got to go. Thanks, Doc. I even said to her, like, you wanted to hear it. Christy teased me because I can't stand watching people cry. And I was like, oh, you asked for it. Christ was there in the beginning and God sent him. God sent him to take on all of the suffering and sin in the world and to be the perfect example for us to strive towards. We will never be perfect, but it's something to strive towards, and it's great that we're not expected to be perfect because we're not. But we have that goal to go to, and we have an example, and that, that way God would understand. God knows what we're going through. And Matthew says, He knows man. He is not of man, but knows man. He knows us. Use that. Rely on it. Have faith in it. Give yourself to it. Once you do all of those things, once you obey what he says to do, yes, your prayers are then answered, but you have to do it the way God said it, not the way you decided to do it, not the way, Pastor, whoever said to do it. Take the scripture and read it for yourself. Their hearts were pricked on that day. What do we do? Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, period. Yes, I will talk to you about works and everything later. Yes, I'm going to have a problem with Jewish people coming in and saying, yeah, I believe you, but you've got to be circumcised too. That's a work of the law. There you go, Church Christ. It says work of the law. That's a work. And then somehow connect that to baptism. No. Repent and be baptized, all of you, in the name of Christ, for the repentance of sins. Period. That's what you have to do if you believe. Don't schedule it. Don't waste any time. We'll work with the rest of it later on. You've learned. I'll be 40 in April. It took me, what, 35 years to figure it out? Some of y'all will figure it out. Get my head away from my third point of contact. I'll let you figure it out. 35 years? And I don't, but every day I need to be thanking God for that. Because I should not be here. At all. But it is Christ. It is through Christ that that we have that that escape. So that was your invitation. Check the block. And we're going to stand and sing a song. But please, if if anybody does have any spiritual need in all seriousness, or if you have not been baptized and that that you believe in those things that I just talked about, and you understand that we are sinful and that man is in his nature sinful, people understand. There are people out there. Uh, You can talk to anybody in this room that is a member of the church and they'll be able to listen and give you that love and it's not judgmental people love to say that they think church of christ is judgmental well a church of christ member just got up and said things that i wouldn't have said those things in front of anybody It took me up until a few months ago to even say them to her uh, but we're a family we say that so act it out i trust you all enough and i love you all enough to uh, be comfortable to say that i know it made a few people very uncomfortable but, hey, that's all right. I don't care about that either. If you have any type of spiritual need, though, um, and don't forget, come back tomorrow at 7. We're going to talk about uh, bad decisions, right decisions, and then start going into AA and how much is tied to the church. Um, and, and that is a better biblical answer to sobriety and dealing with PTSD and grief. I think I'm hitting the point. I'm supposed to do that, right? As long as I mention PTSD and grief every once in a while, whoever's listening to it will be like, oh, there it is. He said it. What's he talking about? Anyway, uh, but if you do have a spiritual need, we just ask that you come forward this time as we stand and sing.